welcome to another edition of Hit the Lights Plus. I've again got Mr. Peter Arrow with me. How are we, Peter? All right, Gary. How are you? Good to be back. Yeah, no, it's fantastic to be back. Back for more punishment. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure we can come up with some more arguments. Um, oh, I've got those ready. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so today we're going to be doing a little topic on BS seven three seven five. Uh, electrical installations on construction sites um so is this one you're uh, particularly familiar with pete to be honest it wasn't it's um it's been good to have a read through and that so as a code of practice a lot of it is common sense but it's nice to actually see stuff wrote down on paper that you can take away and use in your day-to-days yeah so i think probably for myself it's um it's been one of those things like throughout my career obviously i've always worked on construction sites so it's probably good to go back over it and it, it's stuff I probably take for granted and and even though you know it you don't know you know it necessarily um so it's always good to go back over them in terms of where we start I suppose we'll start with the design element shall we yeah I suppose start at the beginning and work our way through <laughs> <laughs> so what where would you start with the design well, I think from the earliest point of view going on is to get the DNO, if needed, involved. So let's say it's a, a complete knockdown demolition of site. So we're going to have to get the intake equipment moved external to the property. And it states here that ideally that the site supply will be moved to the periphery of site and in a secure accommodation. Obviously, we've got loads of building going on, lots of machinery moving around. We want it to be secure, so probably trying to get them involved for that. And it also states about any overhead lines or underground supplies that need moving and to try and include sort of getting the conversation, the ball rolling about where the supplies are going to go when it goes back in. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, the document features quite heavily about planning, doesn't it? I mean, it's got an entire section for it. Yeah. So, you know, it's something design considerations up front before you even start theoretically thinking about the, the physical build and the product you're actually delivering in the end, you do have to think about how you're going to do it with types of voltages, uh, types of equipment you're actually going to need to complete the, the works. Um, and then there's, you know, all the other different, you know, obviously it mentions about HV not being part of this scope. Certainly one of the things I'm doing on Tideway is, uh, you know, HV with the tunnel boring machines and stuff like that. So, you know, assessing what you need from the outset and getting engagement with the UKPN is um, is a big factor. Yeah, it's an interesting topic you said there about your tunnelling because surely would you try to avoid the routes that the existing cabling take? Surely at some point you've had to negotiate with the DNO to move infrastructure already in place? Uh, no, well, particularly with Tideway, um, these are new sites. So we're just uh, getting HV supplies on. Uh, to our own transformer compounds, which are then supplying the the tunneling equipment. So slightly slightly different potentially to a demolition job. So one one of the one of the main things, you know, they obviously state a lot of requirements. Probably most I would expect most electricians have probably come across at some point, even in the um, the DIY shops. If you don't mind stopping urinating, that'd be great. Sorry about that. Get hungry. <laughs> Come on. Here we go. Thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> right. We were talking about the different criteria um, 
that you can get on a, on construction sites that you probably might have experienced. Typically, you know, obviously there's colouring systems for the cables, the temporaries. You know, typically you'll have experienced 110 volt yellow, 230 volt blue. Is that something you're familiar with? Yeah, is it three phase red? Three phase red. I think it's about time probably for a pop quiz. Oh, there we go. <laughs> let's, 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 right, now we've named three. What, what are the other three voltages and colours? Three voltages and colours. Um, cool. Well, I'm, I did read the code of practice and it does stay in there. And I thought, shall I look at that and remember that? But I forgot. So I'm pretty sure cell at 25 volts is violet. Oh, yes, he's got one. And then I think the other two, was it 55 volts for reduced low voltage? What colour? Uh, white yeah white 50 oh. volts i'll give you 55 and then we've got 500 to 650 volts is black i knew one of them was black and i just didn't feel like it was the others so well there we go well yep there we go um in terms of understanding other considerations um is obviously isolation as part of um the uh, temporary installations um they have a specific code for it isolators shall break all conductors simultaneously including neutrals is that is that something you've done yourself at all well i'd always think it's good because um i say you've got a commando socket there's no better isolation than physically removing so if someone's on site getting a zap or there's an immediate danger you don't need to be a skilled or instructed person to be able to remove a socket so that for me i would class as isolation of all the conductors but i also know on one of them it did state you have a lockable isolation that's correct <laughs> that's terrible well you know i did the electrics myself so uh, well yeah so you know i know they're terrible yeah. <laughs> yeah no isolators isolators should be lockable which i think is good practice especially on a construction site as the likelihood of maintenance is quite great and plus on a construction site, people say, oh, the power's gone. I'll just go flick that back up and all the rest of it because time is money. You know, we're all under pressure to get contracts completed on time. So even greater reason to lock off. Yeah. So one, one of the other aspects of temporary installations is the inspecting and testing of one. Yeah, no, very important. As we say, I've said a few times now, the risk of damage is great. So I believe guidance note three states a shorter frequency for inspection, which is um, about three months, I think, Gary. Yeah, I think they do put a clause in there that it can be extended by the inspector. Um, I don't know many sites that are doing probably th three monthly uh, intestine testing inspection, um, but they do obviously clarify in there for routine inspections as well for wear and tear. So I think that that's very, you know, very good practice and should be done. Um, I think one of the aspects that probably isn't captured on smaller construction projects, I would say, is the fact that equipment is taken from job to job, particularly when it's site temporaries and not necessarily assessed for wear and tear, as well as um, connections and and all the other, you know, the stuff you would normally yeah. check along with it. No, that's something I actually have quite a lot of experience with because we do quite a lot of insurance work. Quite often you'll turn up to a site and all the ceilings will be fallen down. I've had a car's driven through the front of a house and quite, you know, the electrics aren't safe for continued use. We often fit a, type, a site temporary. But because it's 
cost efficient to just buy, say, 10 boards and use them time and time again. As we finish on one site, it'll go straight on to another. But we have to allow for the fact that it's been in service, it's come out, it's been transported, it may have been stored for a period of time. Therefore, when it gets reinstalled, you have to check every single termination, which includes all the sockets, all the MCBs, all the manufacturers' um, terminals. The whole board gets retested, retalked, retested, because you don't know what's going on. So they could be in there from a period of about two weeks up to, I've had one in there for about 18 months before. Mm. And did, did you inspect that regularly? Yeah, so it would be more of a visual inspection because it's about four sockets, but I have had it. Maintenance works, you get plasterers turn up on site and they seem to really like the halogen lighting over LED. So you get burnt out terminals, you get sockets coming off, you get people cracking things. And mm. so from an electrical point of view, to actually physically do an electrical test over the four sockets maybe isn't as beneficial as a visual inspection. But I would also... We check the RCDs at the start and end of every single day. We'll turn off the breakers. So it's always functionally tested. Mm. And I said, I'm there on site to sort of monitor it. And I think I'm experienced enough to have a good understanding of what's going on. Yeah. Look, obviously, there's there's detail in there, um, section 6.4, of what sort of equipment you can supply. Obviously, we've mentioned about the different voltages and what you can and can't do. A further aspect to that is for 400 volt three phase equipment, it's going to have to be fixed plant, uh, movable plant um, via a trailing cable, again, 400 volts. Installation in the site buildings is typically uh, 230 volt. Fixed flood lighting, 230 volt, handheld tools and site lighting and essentially portable uh, equipment, all 110. And then portable hand lamps where it's combined work or damp situations, 50 to 25 volts. So obviously you've mentioned a lot of voltage bands there, and especially as what you were saying earlier about the high voltage for your equipment you're using on certain sites. But do you feel that there is a certain voltage which could be largely used and the safer voltage? So should we really be trying to aim for the reduced low voltage or are we better with the higher voltage or...? Um, I think typically across all construction sites now, you'll see 110 volts um, typically distributed. They'll go to a little distribution unit, you know, like a freestanding thing that you can plug your, your tools into locally. You know, I, ha I have seen it in the past where one of the main grievances for, for guys is they're using battery uh, tools and equipment. And obviously the chargers are 230 volt. And if they're not situated or able to be situated locally on the site, you lose a lot of man hours um, actually traipsing back and forward, getting batteries and charging them and, you know, several times a day, potentially. Um, so yeah, that's something we've always overcome. Must admit, I've had experience of that myself where we've, we've put in two 110 volt site transformers on a HMO project we were doing. And same deal, really. They didn't want any 230 volt on site at all, apart from a smoke detection circuit, which had to be in a, a high grade cable. I think we used NYY. But um, all the um, electrical tools had to be 110 volt, had to be inspected every single day before use, and they had to be pat tested once a week, mm. which was one of the uh, Balfour's specifications. But then they also stated that they prefer battery tools 
and same as what you've just said, all the battery chargers, because they're 230 volts, had to be stored in a container out in the sort of outside of the zone of the site, mm-hmm. which did become a pain, especially there's about 20 people on site all fighting over a couple of sockets in the site hut. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. go without its challenges, that's for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, one of the, probably, we, we glossed over it, I think, but it's an important thing to manage, uh, mention. We never mentioned about PME not being able yep. to be used. I was coming to that. That's my next one. So go on, then. Go on, then. Go, go on, then. Right to the beginning. No, no, go, just, go uh, on, then. Here you go, go ready? Well. Oh. <laughs> if, uh, you know, like me, you uh, want to reference the ESQCR 2002 Regulation 3, You'll find that it states that all metalwork should be bonded together on a construction site, but as we all know, that's very difficult to achieve. So most DNOs will now state that they want or they won't connect a PME or a TNCS system to a construction site temporary. So that leaves us with a TT system. Yeah, it also states it in uh, BS 7671.704.411.3.1. Ah, oh, I know that one well. That, that's, uh, if you carry on reading though to section 704.411.3.2, you'll also see. That, uh, Go on then. What does it uh, say? Well, it says that a TT with an RCD should not exceed 500 milliamps. That's good advice. You know, I know what you're all like, especially if you're looking at the. Um, BS7909, the temporary suppliers, I think they're quite often using RCDs of one amp or greater because they've got the distribution circuits going on and they need selectivity. But here it does clearly say that no more than 500 milliamps, which is why I wanted to mention that. No, no, yeah, no, very good point to mention. Thank you. Um, I mean, typically, you know, most of the sites will have have RCD protection on, on them anyway. I think, if, as we say, it's becoming more and more common for sites to certainly new builds and um, where UKPN aren't already established to be TT supplies. So I think it's it's becoming more and more common. And I think with the other recent conversations, you know, like ourselves have with the EV charger, with the um, concentric cables being used uh, by UKPN, wherever. Exactly. Well, that actually introduces another issue, which you've led lovely into we, we've spoken a lot about new installs so we're isolating the whole house it's getting knocked down we're putting in new you're you know you're coming in with your new temporary supplies for your hv stuff it's all old is gone and we're just starting new but what about an extension because obviously when we've got the pme issues then you've got an extension which could have bonding onto the pme network but then we have a site temporary for a new extension which is off a TT, so we have to be careful that there's no extension, sorry, there's no overlap of the ground resistance areas, because you could be introducing a potential that way. Mm. I think that you'd probably end up doing a specific risk assessment for that, wouldn't you, rather than automatically going for the uh, construction works to be under TT? Yeah, no, I agree completely. You'd have to obviously have a specific um, protocol in place that as and when perhaps certain potentials were introduced that you were on site to include the the bonding yeah so obviously we've well certainly i have i'm speaking a lot quite commercial industrial mainly industrial do you think there is some scope for 
domestic installations and like you mentioned like extensions renovations demolitions to start potentially take some of these um methodology and criteria into the the construction site in apostrophes domestically well i think now especially that the i found in my own experience that you need to in, increase your risk assessments now even in the domestic sector as it's become a lot more of a blame game so you need to be able to cover your bum a little bit better so the, the practice the guidance that they give is that obviously logging everything that you should check everything that you should earth it it helps you with the design it helps you with the um, inspection and tests it's likely at some point that a cable is going to get damaged and if you look at some of the equipment that people bring to site it, it isn't fit for use how often do you see a carpenter with a lead with about seven rolls of insulation tape wrapped around it because he keeps cutting through it with his chop saw so it would be good to start trying to introduce more practices into the domestic sector but it's finding ways to be able to monitor it because surely then that's down to the builder you can only advise him um, obviously you say you can you can give advice but if you're in control of the premises how would you enforce it domestically well, domestically, I would agree, 110 volt, but everyone now on my sites at least definitely has battery tools because you've got the trailing lead issues as well, which is another risk away from the electrical side of it. But just to get rid of that as a trip hazard is brilliant. Um, we've all got battery lights now. Um, just making sure that you have or you employ an electrician to monitor the system better. So you need to ensure that all the there's enough available sockets, that the current demand is there every job is obviously different if you have a small flat you might just need a 16 amp socket whereas if you go to a full house refurbishment you could need up to 60 amps or beyond so there's plenty of little tips in there you can take and take away to sites and use it's just knowing how they apply to your individual job that's probably a, a good place to end it yeah no i think we covered it there all right well as usual it's been fun fun <laughs> <laughs> Right. Says with a very excited face. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you. See you next time. No, that hasn't made the edit. <laughs>